I know some of you, especially if you're in middle school, might be waiting for our middle school to dismiss, but Josh Taney has the flu this morning along with his wife, and I think they were going to make it roll, so you have to stay here and listen to me. So I'll try and keep it short, but uh, thanks for, for hanging out here with us today. Reverend M.R. Watkinson opened his letter to the Secretary of the Treasury, Salmon P. Chase, on November 13, 1861, with these words. Dear Sir, you are about to submit your annual report to the Congress respecting the affairs of the national finances. One fact touching our currency has hitherto been seriously overlooked. I mean the recognition of the Almighty God in some form on our corns. The Reverend writes this letter to the Secretary of the Treasury as the Civil War is imminent back in the 1860s, and it's a call or a suggestion of sorts that at this time and with everything about to take place or expecting to take place, that the country begin to return or refocus their eyes and their hearts to God as the provider of all things. And so one week letter in res- one week later in response to this letter, Secretary Salmon P. Chase returns the following letter saying, Dear Sir, no nation can be strong except in the strength of God or safe except in his defense. The trust of our people in God should be declared on our national coins. You will cause a device to be prepared without unnecessary delay with a motto expressing in the fewest and tersest words possible, this national recognition. And on February 12, 1964, the phrase, In God We Trust, first appeared on the Federal Reserve $1 note. Uh, Most likely, you've got some sort of money in your pocket. I I have a $1 bill. Maybe you're lucky and you have a 20. But uh, if you spend some time looking at uh, your dollars or your coins, there's a phrase on there that you'll find, a phrase that we've all grown accustomed to. It's, In God we trust. It meant enough at one time that it was even printed on on our money. And it's really the question that we begin with this morning. And is this, do you trust God? I mean, as you think about your own personal finances, the resources that God has given you and the way that you manage your resources, your outlook for the future, can you say with all of your heart and with your mind, with your mouth, "I, I trust God. I put all of my trust in God. And it's pretty crazy when you think about it that especially in the day and age that we live in today, that the words in God we trust are printed on our money. I mean, it really is. I mean, when you think about the tolerance and the pluralism existing in our country today, that that we have those very words printed, in God we trust. But it's it's your question this morning as we get started. Do Do you trust God? Can you say with all of your heart that when it comes to my finances, when it comes to the way that I manage my resources, my outlook for the future, that I trust God? And I think it's pretty important that we spend some time talking about money, specifically what the Bible has to say about money. And I know you've maybe heard this phrase before, but it's true that Jesus talked about money more than he talked about anything else. He frequently took the opportunity to talk about money, about riches and treasures. And I think this is a perfect time of the year for us to talk about it as a church for a couple of reasons. One, you know, the start of a new year means new beginnings, uh, new habits that can be formed. And while many are trying to dig out from credit card debt, and the new raises finally kicked in, it's a great time to ask yourself, how am I going to better manage my financial resources this year than I did last year? And ultimately, the question becomes, do I trust God? Do I live in such a way that the attitude of my heart, the way that I live, the way that I spend, the way that I save, the way that I give, that it communicates, I trust God. We trust God in our home. He comes first. 
But there's another reason why I think this discussion is so critical and why we talk about it and why we're going to talk about it over the next few weeks as a church. That as a country, we've been walking through one of the most difficult financial times that many of us has ever seen. And we've come to expect some things in our life, low unemployment, a soaring economy, a real estate market that's constantly on the move and on the rise. And even as we begin to hear more optimistic news about an ending recession, increased spending at Christmas, and consumer confidence on the rise. The fact is that the last couple of years have really taken a toll on some of you. And when we hear the stories on the news about the effects of, of job loss or you know, unemployment, I mean, you can say, yeah, that's me. I, I'm right in the middle of those stories. I mean, everything that they t- describe, I mean, it, it's come to our home. It's affect, uh, affected us in some way. And so for some of you, you're beat up, and, and there are, I know some of you that are still out of work. Many have lost faith and hope. And now more than ever before, we're faced with the question as we move into this next year, will you trust God? Can you say with your heart, with your mouth, with your life, I, I trust God, I put him first? Well, this morning, I want to begin a three-week series that we're just simply entitling Life, Money, Hope. And over the next few weeks, I want to take a look at some biblical principles with you to help better understand what it is that God has to say about money and the way we manage it. But as we begin, let me just put your minds at ease for a moment, because I know that for some of you, whenever we talk about money in church, it just all of this anxiety builds up in you. And you might even break out in hives or something like that, all right? Or maybe you brought a friend today, you know, and there's, this is the first time you're like, oh, man, they're talking about money today. Every time I bring a friend, they talk about money, you know? I, I want you to know this. I'm going to kind of set your minds at ease. We're going to talk about it over the next three weeks. We're not going to take a big offering at the end of it, all right? We'll continue to do what we do every week and invite you to support the work that God's doing through this church. I'm not going to ask you to make a special commitment. There's not going to be a special offering or anything. So I'm just going to invite you to listen. And over the next few weeks, we're going to go directly to God's word to see what he has to say about the way that we manage our resources, the wisdom that he offers to us. And I just simply want to invite you to, you decide what to do with it. I'm going to try and be fair to bring out some biblical principles and be fair to what it is that God is saying. And then you get to decide what it is that you want to do with this. Because here's the thing. My hope is that you will clearly see that when it comes to money and a plan, that it's not what God wants from you as much as it is what God wants for you. That it's not so much what God wants from you as it is what God wants for you and the way that you live. The first principle that I want to look at this morning is this, when it comes to money, that God owns and we manage. And if you're taking notes, you can write that down. The first principle is that God owns, we manage. And to illustrate this principle, I want to look at a man in the Bible named Joseph. Now, this is not Joseph, the father of Jesus, It's a different Joseph. It's Joseph from the book of Genesis. And so if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, I invite you to take them and turn to the book of Genesis right now. Go to the first book in the Old Testament and go to Genesis chapter 41. And while you're doing that, let me give you a little background on Joseph. We're talking about Joseph, the son of Jacob. You know the boy with the multicolored robe. If you're a musical fan, I'm not. Uh, Maybe you've seen Joseph and the, what do they call the Technicolor dream coat or whatever. Well, this is that guy. All right, Jacob, the father of Joseph, had a very special affection for his son, and he had many sons, but he really liked this one. He, he liked Joseph, and all of the other boys knew about it, and it didn't make him very happy. The other brothers weren't big fans of Joseph because of their father's affection for him. And if you can believe this or not, Joseph's brothers, one day they retaliated by selling their brother Joseph, the loved one, into slavery. They, they sold him to a group of people from Egypt, 
and, and he went off to Egypt and that was the last that they heard of him for a while. Now you think you were mean to your siblings growing up, you know, or your kids are mean to one another. Well, you know, this, I have one up here most likely. But long story short, Joseph ends up in this foreign place in this land of Egypt all by himself living in prison. He's put in prison, but it's in that prison that everything changed for him. At the very lowest point of Joseph's life, God showed up and used Joseph's circumstances to accomplish the greater plan that God was seeing through in this place called Egypt and what would eventually go on to affect the rest of the world. You see, God had given Joseph this special ability. God had given Joseph the ability to interpret dreams. And that's about what's to happen here. It's from this prison that Joseph was able to interpret a pretty important dream for the Pharaoh of Egypt. Now, the Pharaoh was like the king. He was the most powerful man in the world at this time. And I want you to learn from this story this morning, but I also want you to see that God can use even this story, a story that's so quick to, to read over and to enjoy, but he can use this story to teach us a few practical lessons on how we can better trust God in life, but especially as it involves our financial resources. And so the first principle that I want you to see this morning is this, that God owns. That's where we start. That's where we start for these next few weeks. It's really where we start in this year, that God owns. Psalm chapter 24, verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. It all belongs to God. God owns. Let's get started in the story. Psalm chapter 41, beginning in verse 17 you can follow along with you if you like. I'm going to read a few verses here. It says, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, and if you can imagine Pharaoh climbing the steps into this, this prison, saying that he wants to sit face-to-face with Joseph. He's heard that he has the ability to interpret dreams. So he says to Joseph, In my dream I was standing on the bank of the Nile, when out of the river there came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the, re- the reeds. After them seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I had never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first, but even after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before. A little bit of an amusing dream here. And he says, then I woke up. And he continues, in my dreams, I also saw seven heads of grain, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads sprouted, withered and thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads. I told this, Pharaoh said, to my magicians, to the magicians, but none could explain it to me. They had no idea what's happening here. They didn't understand the context of the dream. None could explain it to me. Verse 25, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. And so here we see we have one dream. Two examples, but one message that God is clearly communicating to the people of Egypt through Joseph. And after the dream, Joseph replies, here is what God is going to do. And as Joseph interprets this dream to Pharaoh, I I think he's communicating some important truths. You know, things like God is in control. He is in control of all circumstances. That our God owns everything. That the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, as Psalm 24, 1 says. That God will do what he will do. He brings nations to power and he shuts them down. That God allows times of economic prosperity and power, but he's the one that takes it all away. And then starting in verse 26, Joseph gives a clearer interpretation 
of this dream and what it means for the people. Verse 26, Joseph says, The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream, same story. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. Verse 28, it is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. You know, this past week, the National Weather Service issued a winter weather advisory for Hamilton County, for Noblesville here. Five inches of snow. They got it right. You know, it was actually right. It all came true, and we got the snow for once. Well, in verses 26 to 30, God issues a famine advisory of sorts through Joseph, saying to the people this, the next seven years are going to be full of blessing. The next seven years will be prosperous. There will be plenty of abundance. There will be these days like Egypt has never seen before. But be prepared because it's all going to change. And while there'll be plenty of crops and plenty of money and new housing developments and a soaring Dow Jones industrial average, be warned. The seasons will change. These seven years of prosperity will be followed by seven years of famine. And it will be a famine like many have never seen. You know, if you believe the scriptures to be true, and I am one who does, I want you to know that you can find hope even in this frightening forecast. It's a a reconfirmation of what we expressed at the very beginning, and that is that God owns that he is in absolute control. You know, the workings of this earth, the ups and the downs, it's all in the palm, palms of his hands. And this same God who is demonstrating control in Egypt is the same God who has absolute sovereignty and power and control over the U.S. economy today. And nothing can shake his plans. And even in Egypt, where the most powerful man in the world ruled, even he couldn't change anything. He couldn't stop the oncoming famine. You and I cannot control what God will do. I think there's some lessons learned in this. You know, one would be don't get too bent out of shape when things don't go your way. I mean, it's hard and it's, it's tough. I mean, we're tempted to get angry with God as if we're not getting what we deserve. Or maybe you're angry at the government right now. I mean, maybe you're, you're upset. You blame this president or past presidents for failed policies. Or it's easy to get upset and angry with your boss for a decrease in pay or a lost job. We might even get angry with ourselves over foolish decisions that we've made in the past that kind of add up to this moment. But remember this, God owns. God is in control and nothing will stand in the way of God choosing to do what he wants to do. And like the people of Egypt, you and I will experience these great highs and these great lows in our life. And chances are that we'll move out of this downturn and we'll see another day of abundance and prosperity in the United States of America. But someday from now, we'll go through it all again. And we, we, I, I believe that God wants us to be prepared for those lows. So is it all doom and gloom then? Well, it doesn't have to be. I mean, there's hope in this. And with all the downturn and hardships right now in Noblesville and Kokomo and northern Indiana and the rest of the U.S., guess what? There is no panicking taking place in heaven right now. And for some of you, Uh, That might be the only reason you're here today is just to hear those words. Because the God of heaven, the God who owns everything, the God who is in absolute control, he's not working overtime right now trying to figure out how to get you out of the mess that you're in. God is on his throne. 
He is not anxious. He is in absolute control. He knows what he is doing. And I really believe he's looking at you and me right now and he's asking, do you trust me? Are you ready to trust me yet? Are you finally ready to put all of your trust and your hope in God? Psalm chapter 50, verses 9 and 10, God says, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. Remember, it's not what God wants from us as much as it's what God wants for us. God owns, we manage. I mean, it all belongs to God. And all throughout the Bible, God reminds us that we will face these ups and these downs financially. And that is why we need to be reminded, even at times like this, to keep God out in front. You know, I don't know about you, but I do a lot better job of living when God's out in front. You know, and I can see him and I can follow him. It's a lot better than when God's behind me and I'm trying to lead. So don't be surprised when you face ups and downs. Don't be surprised or shocked when your personal income takes a hit. But here's the thing, when things do get rough, and as we'll see in the rest of the story with Joseph and all of Egypt, it is only those who have been diligent and planned ahead and managed their resources according to the, the plan that God offers to us. It's only those who, who can survive the famine. God owns. He owns everything. And where do we go from here? I mean, if God owns, what's our part in it? What's the second part of the truth that I want to communicate to you this morning? If God owns everything then we just get to manage it. That's what God offers to us, that we manage it. We simply manage it. God owns it all. He gives it and he takes it away. And so if God owns, how do we best manage what he has given to us? I mean, what can we learn from this story about godly management? So let's keep going in this story. Now, Joseph has interpreted the dream. He has said there will be seven years of abundance in the land, but it will be followed by seven years of famine. And then he goes on to say in verse 33, And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. It's time to plan ahead, Joseph says. Choose someone who can help you, Pharaoh, to manage not only your household income, but the affairs of all of Egypt so that we can be prepared. And I think, you know, with the beginning of a new year on us and with it being a great time for start overs and and do overs. And if you're like me, you're all about those kinds of things, you know, and fresh starts. Now's a great time for you to say, you know, let's, let's try and make some wise decisions as we head into this next year so that we can better use, better utilize the resources that God has given to us. And so with this in mind, let me ask you to just consider a few things as we enter into the new year. Because the question becomes, how can I better prepare myself for the ups and downs of life, especially as it affects my finances? How can I better manage what God has given to me? So how can we better manage? I, I think there's a couple of things we can do. The first one is this. Seek some counsel or some accountability in the way that you spend your money. I would challenge you to do that, to seek accountability and counsel with your personal finances. Now, this isn't an easy task for anyone or everyone. Finances are a very personal thing, and especially when you get turned upside down financially, it's embarrassing, it's tempting to try and want to just cover it up or disguise the mess because maybe you don't want to even acknowledge that it's there and you certainly don't want anyone else to see it. You know, we don't want anyone to know about it, and so therefore we don't really want anyone to help us. Now, I'll say from experience that my wife and I have greatly benefited from talking to people that we trust and respect when it comes to the way that we handle our personal finances. And we are by no means rich, but I'm thankful that at the very beginning of our marriage, God put the right people in our life to help us make some some wise choices uh, to help us get to where we are today. 
you know, if you're just out of college, you know, or if you're recently married, I encourage you to find some people, to find a person that you trust that has demonstrated their ability to handle their finances wisely, that trusts in God and you can see it in their life, and to ask them to come alongside of you to help you make some better decisions uh, as you proceed. And you will, your, your marriage will, will have a better chance uh, of surviving and thriving by, by doing this even as you start, but you, you can start anywhere. And don't wait. I mean, don't wait. I mean, start now, regardless of your age. And if you're in a mess financially, you know, find someone else who's been in a mess and have come through it and learn from them. Find out, you know, what they had to do, what steps they had to take to get to a better place. You know, talk to someone who knows credit card debt and knows how to get out of it and understands the joy of being free from these types of things. You know, if you're self-employed, talk to someone else who understands the unpredictability of income when you're a self-employed person. Every situation is different, and your situation might be the result of a job loss or decreased hours at work or maybe even poor decisions from your past, but it doesn't matter. Find someone you can trust, someone who can ask you the tough questions before you make the risky investment or someone who will challenge you before you go out and buy the new car. You know, ask them to give you wise, blatant, bold counsel and to hold you accountable so that you can better manage your resources. Now, some of you are like, I don't need that. I've got that all taken care of. You know, I don't need that. Well, maybe, maybe not. I, I, here we have the Pharaoh, the most powerful man in all of Egypt and all of the world, and even he needed someone to help him manage the affairs of the kingdom. There's no shame in seeking counsel and accountability from someone that you can trust and you can save yourself a whole bunch of trouble. There was a sad reminder of this, a story that came out in June of this past year. I don't know if you saw the story or not. True story, because I read it on the Internet and everything's on the Internet's true. But it was a story... And if it's not, it's a great story still, so you just have to bear with me. But there was a woman living in Israel. She had a million dollars in cash and was storing it in her bed mattress. Believe it or not, there's not a punchline at the end of this, even though you might think it's a joke or whatever. But she did. She stored all of her money. And, and I guess it proved to be not a wise decision, but considering the downfall of some of the banks and the economy, and she had a, a very bad experience with her own personal bank. And so she literally stuffed all of her cash, $1 million worth, into the mattress of her home in Israel. Well, as the story goes, one day her daughter sat on the bed and felt how horrible it was to lie on. And so as a surprise, she bought her mother a brand new mattress. And so the day that her mom was gone, the delivery truck came, the delivery man walked in with a brand new mattress, walked right out with an old mattress and $1 million in cash and loaded it up on the truck. The story goes that it took a couple of nights sleep before the mother realized there was something different about the mattress that she was lying on. Uh, there was even video of men and women and garbage workers working through the garbage dumps, trying to locate this mattress and to locate the $1 million of cash. And to my knowledge, it was never recovered. Seek some accountability and some counsel and decisions that you make on where you save your money or store it or whether the cookie jar is a good idea or not, because no one would ever look there, you know, if they came into your house. You know, and when you're getting started into a new career or, or you're getting started into your marriage or maybe you're going through a big transition right now and your income has drastically changed or maybe you're finally realizing that you have a problem, that you are absolutely sunk in debt right now, would you take the time to consider seeking out the guidance of others? You know, as a church, we want to be here to serve you 
I am pleased to say that we've got a group of men and women who understand finances and God's design and, and can help you. They can sit down with you and help you plan a budget or a strategy if you don't know how to do that. Uh, all in confidentiality. And if you're looking for some help right now and you just don't know where to begin, um, please call the church or, or contact us you know, by email and we'll help get you in contact with a few of these people that can answer some of these great questions for you. Again, it's all in confidentiality and and they can just help you find the freedom that I believe that God wants for us. We're also planning to offer another Financial Peace University class group this semester starting in February. We haven't nailed down exact start time yet, but we're interested in knowing who might be interested. Uh, you can take your connection card this morning and just put Financial Peace on there. Let me know or let us know at the Info Hub or call the church this week. Uh, just great opportunities for you to seek out some wise counsel. If you're interested in more information, let us know. But here in Egypt, Joseph's in charge now, and he, he's God's man for the hour. He's Pharaoh's newly appointed secretary of the treasury. He's got a plan. Look at verse 34. He says, let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all of the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of the Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. I think biblical wisdom here from this experience could suggest that there's value in having a plan. And so Joseph presented this plan ordained by God to the Pharaoh for Egypt to operate by because the truth was that God was willing to save Thousands of people from starvation during this famine if they were willing to establish a plan A plan that placed full faith and full trust in god You know as we think about how we can better manage what god has given to us I think we should seek wise counsel I think we should have those people in our lives that we can turn to to ask questions people that can hold us accountable But I think there's something else and that's just the value of getting on a plan as we head into this next year, that if you don't have any sort of financial plan for your home, and there's great value in having a plan, having a budget. I took my two boys, Luke is four and Joel is six, sledding at Forest Park on Thursday. It was a great time. Now, they were a little skeptical about sledding last year, but just two times into it this year, they're big fans. And so we, we've got this great new sport. Now, we've got one sled, but we make a great three-man bobsled team. And we can pack in real tight. We've just got the right form and position as we go down the hill. Now, the boys and I, when we were out on Thursday, I thought it would be kind of fun because there are kind of three distinct areas that you can sled from at Forest Park to give them some names. And so I said to the boys, hey, we need to name these mountains. Uh, so let's pick some names for these mountains. And so they chose them out. We've had the, the Slowpoke Mountain uh, is the one. There is the Middle Monster Mountain and then the Triple Monster, as they named it. I don't know why they called it Triple, but they just thought it would be a good name. Now, we have mastered the art of the Slowpoke Mountain. I mean, we have it down. We know all the turns, all the surprises, all the slick spots. We do very well. But I thought it would be kind of fun on Thursday to venture over to the granddaddy of all, you know, the, the highest point in all of Hamilton County. And we went over to the middle monster. And it was a great father-son's moment as we stood there, this awe-inspiring moment, looking down the hill at what laid before us, and they were all ready to go. 
Well, here's the thing. As a concerned father, I wasn't so much worried about the slope or the trajectory or the speed of the mountain or even about falling off halfway down or wiping out at the bottom. Because here's the problem. As a concerned father, it's more about coming up with a plan to look out for the rest of Hamilton County that was there on Thursday. Are the thousands of kids and middle schoolers and high school and college students and adults that were flying down at full speed with little thought of the other people the little guys on the mountain. And and I like the fact that my boy's bones are all intact. And so at that moment, my number one cause was to plan just the right point of entry and then the quickest point of exit when you get to the bottom. And so we went down to the bottom of the Middle Monster Mountain, conquered it, and, and found the quickest point of exit off of the mountain without getting run over by anyone. So if you go sledding today, make sure you have a plan for the Middle Monster Mountain. Now, how many of you can say that in our family, in my household, or for me as an individual, that I have a financial plan, a budget, a strategy that you live off of? Just, just raise your hands if you've got one. It doesn't matter what it looks like or whatever. Okay, many of you raise your hand, and, and probably others of you don't, and you've got a plan, or, or your plan is that I don't have a plan. We just do whatever. Now, and that's okay. Now, whether you call it a plan or a strategy or a budget, a good solid, God-honoring plan is wise. And there are many plans and strategies that allow you to put God first and to manage your resources wisely. And if you're on a plan that honors God and encourages generosity and allows you to keep your spending in check, then great. You know, you stick with it. If you don't have a plan, let me just suggest a few components that I believe you should consider as we move into this new year. The first thing is this. Make sure that your plan, whatever it is, whatever you choose to do, includes room for generosity. You know, and and financial experts, you know, whether they're followers of Jesus or outside of the church will tell you the same. They can't explain it. The generosity is a great way to start any plan that you have. Now, the Bible teaches generosity, and it teaches that we should give the first fruits of everything that we receive to God. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits, not leftovers, not if there's anything left at the end of the month, not if it's been a good year or something, but God commands that we give the first fruits of all your crops, as Proverbs says. Now, remember, God owns, we manage. We are commanded as followers of Jesus to give, to be generous with what has already been given generously to us. Now, contrary to what you might think and how some act, this is not a suggestion. It's not an extra credit uh, for those who who have extra or who want to go overboard on this Jesus kind of churchy kind of stuff. I mean, if God owns it all and we decide to believe that, then we understand that every gift, every financial blessing given to us is a gift from him. And it only stands to reason that if we're going to follow God's plan and God's design for the way that we manage our resources, that we make it a practice to be generous with the first of what God has given. You know, and any of us can make up reasons and excuses for not giving. But if you aren't taking any steps to give, then you're only saying, God, I don't know if I trust you with this part. I'll trust you with every other part of my life. But I don't know if I can have the trust or the confidence in this part. I'm not willing to surrender all to you. And my plan is greater than yours. And giving generously, it all leads to one question. Do you really trust God? Do you live in such a way that your life indicates that you trust God? Here's the thing. 
I want you to discover the joy of being generous. And I know that for some of you, that might sound like the most crazy statement that anyone could ever make. Giving away money? No, it's about discovering the joy and the blessing of being a generous person. You know, Genesis Genesis is, is a generous church. I mean that wholeheartedly too. And I'm not just trying to toot your drum or something. I mean, this is a generous church and it's a value that we embrace. And we're going to be all about generosity as we move into the future. And it's amazing to me to see what this church has been able to accomplish over the past year through generosity. I mean, do you know how awesome it is that even in spite of how difficult the economy has been, even as challenging as it has been for your home, for me to see, for us to see how much you as a church, how much we have given over the past year together. Because in the history of Genesis Church, last year was our best year ever when it comes to giving. I mean, you as a church gave more than you have ever given before. Our elders spent a couple of days away together this past week. And before we adjourned uh, from our retreat, after some time of reflecting and praying and discussing the future, before we adjourned, we took time to just give thanks to God for all of the blessings and for your generosity. I mean, over the past year, Again, you've given more than we've ever given in the life of this church. Giving was greater than spending, and so we're able to carry a modest reserve into this next year. Uh, and even in that, over the past year, we've been able to reach out to more families and, and homes that we have in the past to just help people pay their bills or to provide resources and food and, and goods to those that maybe are running short. You know, we've, we've assisted individuals and families with counseling and, and paid the price, paid, paid the bill for that. In October, you as a church gave over $13,000 to a special offering that we called a Celebrate offering. We hadn't been planning it going into the year. And as you remember, there were some special needs that came up, and we just brought them before you as a church and said, hey, a few weeks from now, we're going to take a special offering. Could we give $10,000? And you gave over $13,000. And we've been able to invest that money. We, we took $3,500 to help a church plant down in the Indianapolis area. We took another $3,500 and we sent it to Nehemiah Vision Ministries in Haiti, our, our new partner in Haiti. We, we took a portion of that and were able to give it to a local missionary who it was looking like was maybe going to have to suspend their work because the funding wasn't there. And we also had some critical projects that we told you were coming up with the facility and we're able to put some of that money into those critical projects. We've been able to do some of these great things at, at Christmas. You know, just a couple of weeks ago, you gave over $4,000 from a special ask where we said, hey, let, let's buy one less gift this Christmas and let's send some money to Haiti where we know there might be some people that could use it a lot more than we could use a sweater or something. And you as a church gave over $4,000. Now, here's what gets me excited about that, that, that gift that you gave. A few weeks from now, nine people from this church are going to go to Haiti. And they're going to get to watch it being used firsthand. And their lives are going to be radically altered by what they see. And then they're going to come back and tell us about it. And I think that's what's really exciting. And that's what we get to be a part of when we talk about what it means to be generous. And, you know, it, it, it doesn't stop here. I mean, God has called our church to be a generous church. And as I said, just get used to it. We're going to be a generous church. And that's why we have set a goal for this year, for 2010, to invest over $40,000 in outreach in our community and globally. And it's a big step, but it's one that we're going to take. And it's a part of the plan that we have to help people find their way back to God. 
right here in Noblesville and Hamilton County and central Indiana and in places like Haiti. And it's a great step of faith. And we're bringing alongside of us some people that can help us better manage these resources and make wise decisions. And it's a great step of faith. And it's a step that we're going to take as a church. And I want to invite you to be a part of the next chapter of it because it's going to be a lot of fun and we're going to see some great things happen. So get on a plan and make sure your plan includes generosity and giving, you know, first to God and to his church. You know, we believe you're a part of his plan for this church. We've talked about 10% in the past, you know, and I think it's a great God honoring marker. And for some of you, you would do well to jump in and just set aside 10% of everything you make and say, you know what, I'm going to be generous with this. I'm going to invest in the work that God's doing. And it'll be a great investment. And you'll get to watch it be used and it'll be, make a great impact for the kingdom and you'll be blessed for it. But for others of you, you know, for others of you, you know, this great leap from zero to 10%, you know, kind of continues to prevent you from giving anything at all because it's just a great leap. Can, can I offer a challenge to those of you that want to honor God and be generous, but, but you just don't know where to start? Just start somewhere. I mean, just pick a number and, and ask God, God, what can I give right now from my financial resources to say I trust you? If God tells you 50 bucks a month, you follow God. If God says, you know what, starting with $100 a month is a great leap and it'll, commu- it'll demonstrate that you're trusting me and that you want to be generous, you follow God. If God says 3% of your income, you follow God. All right, numbers aren't important. You just ask God, God, what do you want to do through me and my family, my household right now? to better communicate that I trust you, that I am investing in the work that you're doing to make things right in this world again. And you follow God. You listen to God. And you just say, you know, as you've been generous to me, I want to be generous with you. If you're new to Genesis, maybe you've come to Genesis in the last few months because we've got a lot of new people that are coming and maybe you come from another church and you've kind of been standing back on the side. We invite you to get involved and what happened, I don't mean that crudely or whatever. We just invite you to kind of get involved with what's happening here. I mean, we believe that as God has set some goals for us in the future, he had you in mind in helping you find your way here. And we want to invite you to be a part of the great work that God's going to do here. So make sure your plan involves generosity. But secondly, make sure your plan involves personal savings too. Genesis 41, 34 to 36 again. Joseph says, let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of those good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. So Joseph had a plan, and that plan involved taking a portion of everything that the land produced in those seven years of abundance and setting it aside for a, well, a non-rainy day, the day of famine that was soon to come. And so through forced savings and giving, people were giving to this. Now, many financial experts say that you should take at least 10% of everything that you make and set it aside in an emergency fund of sorts. Now, knowing the famine was seven years away and that it was imminent, Joseph commanded 20%. And so for all the land, they took 20% of everything that they made or produced. Now, one of my favorite writers and teachers and radio talk show hosts, and maybe for many of you, is, is Dave Ramsey. He, he talks about setting aside three to six months of income in a reserve account for unexpected emergencies. You know, if you don't have anything like this in place, I'd encourage you to get started. You know, find ways of taking just even a little bit of, of everything that you make and putting it away and don't touch it. Don't put it in your bed mattress or anything like that. Find a much better place, you know, than your bed mattress, but set it aside, you know, and it's a discipline. 
but establish a savings plan. Set aside an emergency fund to cover you if you lose your job or if the tranny goes out of the minivan or the furnace breaks down or something. Then you've got that money to turn to. And you can save as much as you want. I'm not saying that 10% has to be your amount. But saving for the future does not take precedence over generosity towards God and the work that he's doing. You know, as you set a plan, make sure it involves savings, but also generosity that says, God, I trust you. My faith is not in my 401k plan. My faith is not in my pension. Above all else, I trust you. And so we need a plan. We need a plan that includes generosity, a plan that involves savings. And as you get these pieces in place, I think it gives you a better idea of what you have to live off of. And for many, that's the greatest challenge as we live at a level that is above what we make. And so spend in such a way that it allows you to enjoy life, you know, go to the movies, take a vacation, you know, do those types of things, but spend in such a way that allows you to avoid debt or get out of debt and eliminating that debt in your life. Proverbs 22, verse 7, the last half says, uh, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. You know, as followers of Jesus, we are slaves to no one but God. And God wants financial freedom for each of us. Remember, it's not what God can get from you. It's what God wants for you. And I believe that God wants financial freedom for each of us. And so as you get these pieces uh, in place, as you get a strategy, uh, I think we better better ourselves to, to say, God, I trust you. I like what Rick Warren says, a budget or a plan is nothing more than a spending diet. It enables us to watch where the money goes and to control how, does, how it is used. Almost finished here. Joseph teaches this value of wise counsel, the value of having a plan, a plan that includes generosity, a plan that includes saving and spending wisely. And finally, the last thing as it, as it, as it comes to how we manage what God has given to us is that you need to get a plan, but you need to stick with the plan. You know, and think about what it took for Joseph in Egypt to stick with their plan through those incredible seven years of abundance and prosperity. I mean, it had to be tempting to want to take some of that and that abundance and spend it on some other things. I mean, it takes discipline. And for you, it might mean saying no to the new TV this year. You know, it, it might mean planning another staycation, you know, rather than a tropical vacation. You like that? Isn't that cool? Isn't that cute? Uh, my wife will bring that up when I get home. It might mean driving the clunker around one more year, or as Dave Ramsey says, live like no one else so that you can live like no one else. All right, we know what he says. Live like no one else so that you can live like no one else. Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of the entire kingdom, and Joseph didn't let him down. He became a great leader because of one thing. He did what he said he was going to do. He had a plan given to him by God, and he stuck with that plan. Let's, let's finish up this story. Verse 47. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. And so Joseph and all of Egypt, they stuck to this plan. They made sure they carried it out. And for most of us, it isn't picking the plan that's a problem. It's sticking with the plan. You know, it's easy to nod your head and talk about giving and savings and being generous and helping others. It's, it's tougher when you finish paying the bills and there's nothing left. That's why the Bible teaches that God comes first. You know, work with the plan you've established. And again, if we can help you in any way, we, we would love to help you because we believe that God wants freedom for each of us. 
So stick with your plan, dig in your heels, do what you need to do, be faithful to God, and God will honor your discipline and your generosity. Last part of the story, verse 53. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you to do. Verse 56. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. Verse 57. And all the countries, not just Egypt. This was a famine that was affecting the entire world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the world. Here's what Joseph believed. Joseph Joseph believed that God owns and we manage. That God owns and we manage. Let let me me wrap this up now. Some of you are sitting here today wondering how in the world this applies to you. In fact, it's easy to think, I, I sure hope, you know, they're listening to this or that other family or he's listening to this. You know, you've made some wise decisions. And in this great, you know, economic downturn, while it's been challenging for you and your family and maybe even been a little frightening, you've weathered the storm. And maybe it's because of careful planning and some wise decisions that you've made in the past, uh, the grace of God and his continued work in your life. In fact, most of you probably know a lot more about money and savings than I do. I, I made it through algebra, halfway through Algebra 2. I started checking out about halfway through Algebra 2. And while you might need a new plan, the, the question might not need a new plan. The question for you today is, do I trust God? As I look at everything that I have been given and all that I have received, can I say that I trust God more this year than I did last year? Can I say that it's not about my IRA or that 401k or those mutual funds that I have, but can I say that all of my faith and all of my tr- confidence and all of my trust and my hope comes from, comes from God? Do I trust God more now than I did last year? And so the question for you this morning is, do I trust God? But the reality is that some of you here today are hurting. And and I've heard some of your stories and some of you are scarred and wounded by the circumstances over this past year or these past couple of years. Debt is strangling you and you're completely swallowed up by it. I know that in our church, many of you have suffered job loss and are still trying to find work. Or you're just scared right now. You know, you're worried that every day that you go into work that you... That might be the day that you get called into your supervisor's office and then are quietly escorted from the building. Or maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking about all of the wrong that you've done and the unwise decisions from the past and the mess that you're in, your hopeless financial situation, and you're wondering, how in the world could I ever find freedom from this? I mean, it's taken five years or 10 years or 15 or 20 years to get into this mess. I I don't have that time to try and escape this. Or how do I get through this health crisis? Or how can I ever begin to think about eliminating the debt of my life? How can I get on a plan? How can I give generously? How how can I save when there isn't enough to go around to pay the bills right now as is? I can't do this on my own. I want you to see one attitude of Joseph here that we haven't seen yet. At the age of 30, Joseph realized it wasn't about him. 
Verse 15, we didn't read that one, but right as Pharaoh was coming to meet Joseph, he climbed down these steps into this dungeon to meet Joseph. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph replied, I cannot do it. Now, here we have a guy who's in prison for no reason at all. He hasn't done anything wrong. He's got the most powerful leader in all the land sitting before him. Here is his get out of jail for free card. But Joseph replies, I cannot do it. I don't have what it takes. But then look what he says. Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God. The message says, I can't, but God can. And some of you here this morning, you're in a situation right now and all you can do is is raise the white flag like many people and just say, I can't do it. I can't make this marriage work. I can't get out of this mess that I'm in. I don't know where the next paycheck's going to come from or where the next job's going to come from. I can't even imagine getting out of debt in my life right now. I can't. But guess what? God can. The one who sits on his throne, the one in absolute control with all power, that God can. This morning, if you've never invited Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, we're going to have a group of people down front here after this service. We'd love to talk with you, pray with you, talk about the situation that you find yourself in right now. Maybe you can't, but God can. Let's pray. God, we humbly come before you this morning, acknowledging that you are God and we aren't. And I know that there are some here today, Lord, who are struggling greatly right now in their life, in their own heart, in their own home, and it may have to do with money and it may have nothing to do with money at all whatsoever. God, would you remind them this morning through the power of your Holy Spirit, that while we can't, you can. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.